So at this time, I'll ask a couple of brothers to come up, Colin Castleberry and then Titus Chan. Colin and then Titus, please. Thank you. I was told that this would be the most loving and forgiving audience that I could ever be in front of. So uh, Amen. hopefully you will do that for me today. If you would, turn uh, quickly with me to uh, Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. I'm going to stop there. I want to talk to you this morning, or this afternoon rather, about the ancient landmarks. I'm thankful for uh, the way the Lord has led because our uh, brother Joshua, we prayed for then our next pastor, and he also mentioned the bulwarks and marking them and telling it to the generation following. And that's part of what I want to talk about here in the next, for the next few minutes. I want to address the young men this, this afternoon from Proverbs 22, verse 28. Remove, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Uh, in the year 2006, there was 14 sermons preached on the ancient landmarks after our our pastor visited uh, Georgetown, South Carolina, and was convicted by finding uh, evidence of Elisha and William Screven, who upheld the ancient landmarks uh, there in, in Georgetown. And he was convicted by it to preach to us about the ancient landmarks of our faith. Right. Uh, in Proverbs 22:28, it's not talking about necessarily spiritual landmarks. It's talking about physical boundaries and uh, tribal Israel, but there's a secondary meaning that we are taking from it to remind ourselves to uphold and not to move the ancient landmarks of our faith. Uh, we're going to consider the ancient landmarks of our faith and practice given to us by the apostles from the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to speak directly to the young men. It, this is applicable for everyone, but the young men in particular, we are the next generation, and if the Lord doesn't give us a pastor. We may be doing like we have done today and last week for a while after our pastor, uh, after the Lord takes our pastor. We pray that he gives us one. We want one. But there's many congregations throughout this land that don't have a pastor. Right. There is a famine. And uh, we may be doing this. So we need to be prepared. Why are the uh, ancient landmarks important? Jude 1.3 would tell us, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We are in a war. We are in a war, and it's spiritual warfare, and it's also a war against truth and against the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, against true worship of God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to earnestly contend, young men, earnestly contend, for the faith. There will be a time when we don't have our fathers here. We won't have our pastor. We won't have Brother Jim and Brother Newell here. It's going to be us. Our, fa our fathers will die like all men do and like we will. So there is a battle for truth and the original faith of the apostles. Right. Most are either losing that battle or giving up or haven't even tried to fight. There is another Jesus preached in most churches, and most churches have given up true doctrine. It's not about doctrine that we want to have, we just want to have the truth. We want to worship God in truth 
and in holiness. This is how we worship God and how we view Him and how we relate to Him. There is a battle. And we live in the perilous times of the last days. If you read 2 Timothy 3, uh, the, this is the, we are in the, the days, the perilous uh, times of the last days. We are in it. And it's very evident that we are in it by the description found in 2 Timothy 3. A couple verses in uh, 2 Timothy 3 I want to read to you. This know also that in the last times, last days, perilous times shall come. And a description of these people in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Verse 7, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 14 is to us though, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. There's a warfare against truth and against doctrine. I want to list now several of the ancient landmarks, and I want to provoke, especially the young men this morning, that these are the fundamentals, the fundamentals of our faith. This is what we believe, and for some of them, we, we kind of we understand them, we take them for granted, maybe, but we are in a very small minority, and there will come a time when we will have to defend them. We will have to uphold the ancient landmarks. Okay. In the, in the sermons preached, and I would encourage any young man to go review them, uh, there's 31 landmarks of faith, of doctrine, and there's also 31 landmarks of practice. And there's a distinction between the two. I won't take the time, but the, the, doc, the uh, landmarks of faith and of doctrine are those things by which we worship God and we, the things that we believe from Scripture concerning the Lord and about salvation and baptism and church discipline, everything else, then practice things like hospitality. They're things that are important, and they are emphasized in Scripture that we consider landmarks. They're, they're piles of stones like the Israelites had in their fields to mark the boundaries. They are piles, piles of stones for us that we, we can say, this is what we believe. We, we, we believe that this is a certain word of God, and we will go no farther, and we will go all the way up, and, uh, up to the point that the Lord has shown us. Okay, here's a couple of the uh, ancient landmarks to give you an idea of what they are. Number one, the King James Bible is God's preserved words in English. Amen. We understand that. We believe it. But very few else do. Hardly anyone else does. And it is fundamental because if we don't have the certain words of truth, if we don't have the true words of God, we have nothing else to stand on. Another example of an ancient landmark the preeminence of Jesus Christ in our church and in our personal lives. The preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, that, not just that he is there or that he exists, but that he is preeminent. Yes. Kind of, come, uh, you know, the first trait of higher ground is the Lord Jesus Christ making him preeminent in our lives and in our church. Here's another ancient landmark. And these are things that, young men, we are going to have to defend one day. We're going to have to believe them. First of all, we're going to have to believe them, understand them. We're going to have to teach them to our children, and we will have to defend them against um, the rest of the world. Here's another uh, ancient landmark. Jesus Christ is the Son of eternal God by incarnation, not an eternal Son or a begotten God. And... This, this is important because it is the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's going to be preeminent in our hearts and our lives and in our church, we have to worship the right Jesus. We have to know who he is. And so it's a landmark of our faith that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will defend it. We will believe it. 
we will not be moved away from it. Another one, baptism by immersion. Baptism by immersion, and it's only for believers. And it's not the means of salvation, nor is it the means of church membership. It is, it is an, the answer for good conscience to God, signifying his death, burial, and resurrection. Another ancient landmark, which you may not consider necessarily a fundamental of our faith, but for our church it is, is the five phases of salvation, which are necessarily, necessary to rightly divide the word and words of salvation, save, save, salvation, saves, all these the different aspects of salvation, how do we rightly divide that? It helps us understand what it means to be saved, which plays into the several other uh, landmarks of our faith, including salvation itself. Is it, is it, by only to, is it, is it limited to, to, to the elect? And it is. Another ancient landmark is regeneration and conversion and the difference between the operation of the Holy Spirit and our responsibility and God's enlightening us through His Spirit in a very practical way. Another ancient landmark, instrumental music. as part of our worship here in this church unto the Lord God Jehovah. Another ancient landmark. The man of sin in the Bible is the papacy of Rome. And the great whore is the Roman Catholic Church and the popes of Rome. Another ancient landmark. Church discipline. How do we keep the body of Christ pure? Church discipline is applied to public sinners to keep the Lord's table pure. Amen. Those are some, some examples of ancient landmarks. And young men, I remind you and I remind us of the importance of them because what you just heard from our brother Joshua, we're praying for our next pastor. We're considering that already. And we're going to be the next generation. We're going to be the ones that are marking the bulwarks and telling telling of the bulwarks and all those things to our children. And we're going to have to be prepared. Um, I, I, I have a short statement I want to read to you in closing that I, I don't want to forget by trying to tell it to you from memory. And I close with this. Young men, you and I will be the next generation of fathers teaching our children as well as those that fill in the gap, the replace, replacers of the breach, the breaches thereof, we will be the next teachers like Brother Jim and Brother Newell, and perhaps from this congregation will come our next pastor. Do not be deceived. There is a famine in the land for teachers of the truth, for pastors, and for godly fathers. That's right. Unless the Lord mightily intervenes, we will be directly responsible for teaching and defending the Word of God and upholding the ancient landmarks of our fathers. Young men, we've had the truth, the Word of God, Rightly divided, to, rightly divided and the sense of it given to us. We have not had to fight or contend in the same ways that our fathers have and our grandfathers have. It's been handed to us and given to us. We are more at risk in some ways because our spiritual life is so easy in terms of obtaining the truth and because we have had a hedge of protection around us and our fathers and our pastor. And I, I'm not, it's not doomsday. I'm just trying to remind the young men that it is serious right. and that we are going to be the next generation. And I'll close with this verse. I know I've gone over my time. I'm sorry. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. And thou shalt be called 
the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to, do- to dwell in. May the Lord bless this young man to be just that. This is not coordinated. (laughs) Second Timothy three says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Amen. This is a familiar passage that everyone knows or should know. There is no harm reading it again because we are living in it. This passage describes a brand of Christianity that is weak, effeminate, compromising, and superficial. We are surrounded every day of our lives by Christians who may profess to know God, but deny Him in every other aspect of their lives, thus shaming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Has this passage been taught and emphasized here in this church? Hundreds, maybe thousands of times. So I hope that our lives are different from the average Christian that we see in, at work or on the street today. One of the defining aspects of the perilous times is disobedience to parents. Christians who should be the salt and light of the world who disobey and dishonor their parents who have done so much for them. We were born as helpless infants to our father and mother who could have so easily relieved themselves of our burden. We as infants demanded so much time, energy, and effort while giving almost nothing back to them in return. And when we grew up, we demanded even more of that while giving our parents pain and anguish for the foolish choices that we have made in our lives. You have heard earlier from a brother on how uh, a set of parents would do for their son. I hope little Abe remembers that in the future of the efforts and pain and anguish that his parents went through for him. Um, These are a few out of the millions of reasons why the Bible wants us to honor not just obey our parents. Ephesians 6, 2-3 says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. These verses apply to anyone who has parents, It doesn't matter if you're five or 55 years old. It is a lifelong duty of a son or a daughter that they have towards their parents. And the responsibility becomes greater as you grow older. Consider the definition of honor by the Oxford English Dictionary. It says, honor is great respect, esteem, or reverence received, 
gained or enjoyed by a person or thing, glory, renown, fame, reputation, a good name. We have to give all these aspects of honor to our parents. This, that is regardless of how we may have been treated in the past. The honor is owed to them, not because we like them, but because of their office that God has given to them over us. The Bible takes this very seriously. Uh, Leviticus 19.32 says, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, and honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God. I am the Lord. When was the last time we rose up when we were in the presence of our grandfather or our father? When was the last time? We live in a very arrogant and rebellious generation that does not do anything like that nowadays. And consider another passage of scripture, Exodus 18, verse 7 through 8. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked of each other of their welfare. And they came into the tent and Moses told his father-in-law, Jethro, all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. Think about this. Who is Moses? He was the leader of the, Israel, uh, the nation of Israel, two to three million people. He was the leader, the king, the prime minister. And what did he do in the face of all the people when he saw his father-in-law, he did obeisance to them, publicly, probably. John 19, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Who was Jesus? King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. What was happening to him at that time? He was hanging on the cross. You know, I would probably think of a lot of other things while hanging on the cross after being beaten and, and whipped. But he thought about his mother and he honored his mother even while hanging on the cross. That is how serious it is. There's some negative passages that uh, the Bible states to support this. Exodus 21.17 says that he that curseth his father or mother shall surely be put to death. It was a capital punishment for cursing his father or mother. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 to 21 says, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that, when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of the city and the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of, the, of his city shall stone him with stones, that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Amen. It was a capital punishment in Israel. Uh, disobedience to parents was treated very severely. The offender was stoned in public in front of everyone so that the nation would fear and would honor their parents 
because of that. Proverbs 30 verse 17 says, The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. Um, It's a graphic picture of birds of the air swooping down and using their claws to claw out the eyeballs of uh, young rebellious children. But that's the kind of language that the Bible uses to describe how serious it is to obey your parents and honor them. Did the nation of Israel have a problem with uh, honoring their parents? Uh, We can go to many different scripture passages to prove that they had such a problem. But just consider one of the uh, proverbs that they had that was widely spoken in Israel that was dealt with by the Lord through the, to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 18. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Where would such a proverb originate from? It only originates from rebellious and wicked children who blame their parents' sins for their troubles in life. This is why the Lord hates such a proverb. These children think that their lives are dysfunctional because their upbringing was so bad, you know? It was daddy or mommy who ate the sour grapes, but I'm the one feeling it in my mouth now. The Lord hated this problem and made sure that Israel knew through Ezekiel that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Israel had a problem with honoring their parents, and they tried to blame their, their parents for whatever that, that bad things that happened in their lives. It shouldn't be like that. We should be different. This is one of the reasons why the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, the nation of Israel taken over by Gentiles, and the people took captive to Babylon. If we do not honor our parents now, do not be surprised if that happens in our families, in our jobs, in our nation, and in in this church. This is a negative but logical implication of Ephesians 6, because if Ephesians 6 says that it may be well with thee if you honor your parents, if you don't honor your parents, it will not be well with thee. We want blessings in all aspects of our lives, so let us do it. If you have parents in this church, bless the God of heaven. You have a great opportunity to honor them. If your parents are not in this church, bless the God of heaven. You have a greater opportunity because the Lord recognizes the extra effort needed to reach out to them. If you do not have any living parents, you do have a father in heaven that you should remember. And do you honor him by keeping his commandments and drawing closer to him in fellowship? It has worked for me and for anyone who has sincerely tried it but forget about my testimony or anyone else's. It's the word of God. Right. So we obey it, we believe it, and that settles it. Right. Right. A few brothers uh, today talked about how um, fathers to, should uh, communicate God's blessings unto their children today so that the next generation will know. But there is a part on the, on, uh, the next generation to draw closer to their fathers as well. Malachi said that um, he shall t- that 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, speaking about John the Baptist. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and, to the, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We have very limited time on this earth. Um, under normal circumstances, a person's life will last 70 or by reason of strength, 80 years. But if we have limited time, our parents' time is even more limited than we are. So make sure that in the coming days and weeks to come, that you do something for your parents or your Heavenly Father. We do not know whether we will have tomorrow or not. So what we have now is today, and let us make full use of it. Amen. Wow, thank you, brothers. Thank you. Brother Aaron, if you'll come now. I'll be turning a lot of pages here because it's real big print. I don't have bifocals yet, but they're coming. First of all, I just want to thank my Heavenly Father for His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the cross of Calvary where my sins were put away for eternity. I want to thank my Heavenly Father for the wonderful difference between regeneration and conversion, for the miraculous movement of the dots and connecting of the dots. I want to thank my Heavenly Father for this place and this church, this body of believers that the Lord has raised up in the earth in this wicked and perverse generation. The title of my little sermonette here is Four Higher Grounds. It's a little bit different look at higher grounds because I want to focus on hills, mountains, mountain ranges. In Psalm 121 in verse 1, we read, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. I need help. I know that Adam needs help. I know that Jonathan and Christina need help. And I know that every one of you need help. Our pastor, he has recommended a couple of weeks ago that we strive to see the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures that we are reading And if you are reading the chapter a day schedule, which today is the 8th, it is Genesis chapter 8. Last week, Brother Jim Cutler, he brought out God's wonderful plan of salvation as the seed of woman who is Jesus Christ in Genesis 3.15. Thank you, brother. That was on the update. Brother Nathan, this past Wednesday, he showed us how that we can be one of the two, either Caleb or Joshua, and not one of the ten naysayers concerning the unseemable, unseemable, or the insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable mountains of difficulty by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our victor. In Philippians 4 and verse 13, we read, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He is my victor and he is my strength. 
Briefly, I want to look at four higher grounds from God's Word. I am so glad that our Lord, by His providence, first tells of a specific hill, mountain, or mountain range as relating to His great mercy. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 4, we read, And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. That's a foreign word. I don't know what it means. I don't know that any commentator knows what it means. But it's in Turkey, and it's a mountain range. The ark itself shows God's mercy, as it is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation of Noah and his family. This whole earth was covered with water. The Lord God Almighty destroyed it because the wickedness of men. Noah and his family, they were saved in the ark. The mountain that the ark landed on was a great display of his mercy toward all mankind, even the wicked, temporally. Genesis 8 and verse 20 says, And Noah builded the ark unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not curse again the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. In Psalm 145 and verse 16, we read, Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord said in Matthew 5.45, That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. We see in the rainbow, given in the next chapter, a little preview for tomorrow, God's symbol of his promise to never destroy the earth ever again by water. Remember that. Brother Noah feared God and obeyed his commandments, and he was saved. Genesis 6, verse 22 says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. He built a boat. There was nothing for a boat to float on where he built the boat. The world mocked him, and he was saved. Bear the reproach of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mount Moriah, a second mountain or hill, means the Lord is my teacher. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. One of the most profound and amazing statements in the whole of God's word is found in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 7. Isaac was a young man. He wasn't that young because he was able to carry a bunch of wood for a fire. And he was strong. And Isaac, in Genesis 22, 7, said, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. 
And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, and listen to this. This is incredible. It's so simple. I was raised hearing these words, but it didn't make any sense to me until the Lord revealed it to me. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. The substitution, that is how God is just and right to save a wretch like me, is by God and is God. The lamb is Christ Jesus, and he alone is the elect's substitutionary sin-bearing savior. Genesis 22 and verse 10, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. I want you to think about this. How many times have you seen in nature, on National Geographic or in pictures on the internet, a ram caught in the thicket? These things are so nimble, they can climb up a mountain that is flat sideways. They're unbelievable creatures that God has created. But this ram was caught in a thicket. Christ Jesus, the God-man, the only begotten Son of God, is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist declared of Jesus in John 1.29, The next day Jesus, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in John 1.36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. third mountain, the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, or otherwise known as Mount Sinai, is where God told Moses his name, I am that I am. Before leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and where God gave Moses the law in the wilderness, it was a tempestuous, thunderous, and frightening place because God's strict Holy, unbending, and just law said simply, do and live or disobey and die, plain and simple. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses, verse 22 through 29, which we read in our preparation, but ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, 
and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And I say that with great joy. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish of the usward, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What an exhortation. Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Until the day of the Lord comes, we look back to and remember Mount Calvary. In Luke 23 and verse 33, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors one on the right hand and the other on the left. Our precious Lord Jesus Christ on the cross by himself finished salvation for his generation. In closing, Psalm 85 and verse 10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brother Aaron. Thank you. Brother Joshua and then Brother Charlie. Do you all love the Lord today? Amen. Do you believe that His Spirit leads? Yes, it does. I did not know what Brother Jim was going to preach on today. As you might have guessed by the song we sung before, my topic has to do with higher ground also. Also, you did not know that I would be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You said that you could spend the whole afternoon talking about it. Well, the Lord wants me to talk about that today. Please turn with me to Mark 4. 
I'm very thankful for this privilege to be able to exhort all of you in front of the church. It's an easy way to do it all at the same time. Uh, this topic really blessed my heart, and I hope it blesses yours too. Amen. The Lord wants this church to be fruitful. Amen. Else, he will remove his spirit or candlestick from us. There are four types of hearers in Mark chapter 4. I'll start reading at verse 14. The sower soweth the word, and these are they that be by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the, world, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of their own th of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Which here will you be this year? You make a choice. You make it today which here you will be. Don't wait. That's fatal. I want, to enjoy, I want to encourage this church to higher ground today and for the rest of this year. We should seek it daily. Although the thought of a onesie is insignificant compared to what we should and can give the Lord, it is good to set a goal at something. Otherwise, you will hit nothing. This trait, the fruit of the Spirit, should encourage God's elect to maximum effort to please Him. If your boss gave you a list of things to do to be promoted, and there was a bonus or a reward that you would gain from it, would you do them? How much more should you do the things that the Lord has given you, the list that he's given us in the Bible, with an even more, well, with an even more bigger reward that we will be gaining from it? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'll be reading at verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do, not gather, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every gift bringeth, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Amen. 
We judge men by their fruits. The Bible uses fruit for godly traits that please him. Please turn to Matthew chapter 12. I'll be reading verse 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, can't, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the tr evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that a man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by, the words, for by thy words shall, thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. You are known by the words that come out of your mouth, the fruit of our lips. You are also known by the countenance of your face. Please turn, well, we already read Mark chapter 4, but verse 20 says, And these are they which are sown in good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some hundred. My call to you today is more fruit. It says some sixty, some thirty, and some a hundred. There are levels of fruit. We want to give the Lord more fruit for God's glory. Amen. And there's a great reward that comes with it. Although we should not do it for the reward because he is worthy of all of our praise. Our lives are not our own. Most of us in this church have been preserved by things that we weren't even in control of. Angels protecting us in accidents, the Lord protecting us in health issues or problems or sicknesses, anything like that. Our lives are doubly not our own. We should give the Lord what he deserves. We should bear much fruit. We cannot sit back and relax. There's a reason why we're still here. God took his kingdom from the Jews and gave it to us for fruit. Matthew 22, verse 41 and 43 say, They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. We were grafted into the vine, which is Jesus Christ. The reason he put us there was for fruit, according to verse 43. How much easier is it for him to pluck us off of that branch when we're not even naturally part of it? John wrote about abiding in Jesus Christ, the vine, to bear much fruit. Please turn to John chapter 15. I'll be reading verse 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, 
and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it, and that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is, a, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gathered them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. We cannot bear fruit unless we abide in the vine, which is being Christ-centered. We need to be Christ-centered first. Lack of fruit shows disregard for salvation or reprobation. Fruit in a Christian's life is obvious. Others will know you by your fruit, shown in previous verses. We want all men to see our good works so that they can glorify God, our Savior. If you do not produce fruit, you'll be chastened for it, or you'll be cast out. Now to the list. Peter and Paul provide several lists that we may, com- that we may combine together for the fruits, the Spirit's fruit. Galatians 5, 23 through 20, 22 through 23 is best known, which lists nine fruits that are opposite works of the flesh. Ephesians 5 and 6, Ephesians 5, 6 is much shorter, but it adds righteousness and truth. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 is a list of eight things to prove election. James 3, 10 through 18, repeat several and add purity, humility to exhortation, and mercy. Hebrews 13, 15, may add public or verbal praise, the fruit of our lips to God. Thus we get a list of 18. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, righteousness, truth, virtue, knowledge, godliness, purity, humility, to exhortation, mercy, and praise. This is not an exhaustive list, but it is very helpful. A brief description of these is love is the unselfish care for another's godly prophet. Joy is heartfelt gladness from knowing the Lord. Peace is sweet contentment, trusting God and not fighting. Long-suffering is patiently enduring adversity and adversities. Gentleness is an easygoing and tender kindness. Goodness is is moral purity and benevolence. Faith is confidence in God and his promises. Meekness avoids personal attention, esteem, or glory. Temperance is self-discipline of passions. Righteousness does what is right by God's definitions. Truth is love of honest and hatred of hypocrisy. 
Virtue is noble strength, moral purity, to do what to always do right. Knowledge knows God's will for your life. Godliness is sobriety to conform to God's character. Purity is innocence of attitude and ambition. Easy to be entreated is open to advice or correction. Mercy forgives those who offend you. And praise is verbal thanksgiving to God, often before others. How can we increase more and more to give God glory? Remember the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is by fruit, not feelings. You can have fruit without your first love, as seen in the church at Thyatira. But you cannot have the love of Christ if you don't produce fruit. If you love me, keep my commandments. That is what the Lord has said. Do not put stock in your feelings, thoughts, or words, because only fruit counts. Remember the sermon, faith or feelings. Do not cheapen the gospel or confuse yourself by waiting for feelings. That is a fiery dart. Run the Christian race by faith and not by sight. Remember the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is by fruit, not gifts, because Judas Iscariot had gifts, and so does Benny Hinn. It is a lie. You cannot do these things. It's a fiery dart. You have the power. You cannot think, we cannot think ourselves Christians except by measuring ourselves by our fruit. Do not wait fatalistically for the Spirit to produce fruit. We must learn, and we've been taught, we must review and do it. Our new man loves this fruit, but the old man hates it. Thus, we must daily put on our new man, or hourly. If we seek daily to live for Jesus Christ in heaven, the Spirit will bear this fruit. We must confess our sins quickly and thoroughly to avoid quenching or grieving it. Love the Bible and feast on it. You and your family is beautiful to God by fruit. Let us commend and exhort fruits and the lives of others. Amen. It takes review to remember and practice these various aspects of the Spirit's fruit. We must review this, and I encourage you strongly to go back to the outline. It's about 42 pages, and review higher ground. Let's strive toward it. Second Peter 1, 8-9 For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his sins. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Amen. I know the time, brethren, and what I've got to say, I can say very quickly. I am... 
I was overwhelmed this morning by Chris's psalm uh, because I thought I was going to be the odd man out today talking about fathers. <laughs> and I should have known better that uh, God works in mysterious ways and his Holy Spirit works through us and to us in combining and, and reinforcing things. And I'm very thankful for that. A lot of the points that I could have made, Chris made. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a quick little couple minutes here. You don't need your Bibles. You don't need to take notes. My main points and verses are going to be on a sheet over there on the table type thing. I'm going to pare this down a little bit. My message today will be 20% maybe instructive and 80% motivational because most of the time we don't need more instruction. Right. We need more motivation. As Nathan told us on Wednesday, just go do it. And that's what I want to do here today for you. My subject, or the title of this, is called One More Opportunity. And although this subject is painful and has a, pen, a painful event in my life, I want to turn this into a positive motivator for you guys out there. I pray this is going to be sober. You will take it as sober. And I pray that this will be one of the best messages in the limited amount of time that I've ever presented before this congregation in almost 30 years I've been here. Sober, yes, because it's sober is death. And that's what this is about. God's timing is amazing. When I signed up to do this thing, I couldn't do it last week. I was in Florida. So I'm doing it today the 8th. The 8th of the month, five months ago, is the day I found out that Andrew died. The Lord's timing is amazing. Amen. You can listen to Solomon because when he talks about money, women, he's been there. He's done that. He's walked the walk. So you can listen to him with some confidence. So listen to me about one more opportunity that you folks have that I don't. You can do these things. You can, you can, you can do it. You can do it because all your children are still alive. You can and do have one more opportunity to encourage your children to live a faith-based life. You have one more opportunity to teach your children to love and fear God. You have an one more opportunity to instruct your children to love and serve others. You have one more opportunity to encourage your children to rule your spirits. Mm -hmm. You have one more opportunity to teach your children to acquire wisdom. And you have one more opportunity to show 
your children a pattern of godly living by your life. I don't have that opportunity anymore, but you do. So I pray that you will take it. I have some questions I'd like to, for you to think about. Do you, first of all, there's a mistake that I made, and maybe some of you have made also. And that mistake is thinking that because your children are in this congregation, because these, your children hear the same words that you hear, that these goals that I just mentioned are being accomplished. Well, they're not. They may not. Without intervention, help, and input from you guys. So let me ask you some questions. Let me ask us some questions. Something for you to think about. Do you motivate your children to mature every day as a Christian, remembering that you may not have another day, they may not have another day? Do you hurt the ones that you love by not doing this? And may you have regrets for the rest of your life for not doing the best that you possibly could. I know I sure do. It may seem like an overwhelming task, hard task, a difficult task, but I want you to be like David because David didn't give up until that child died. And that was the end of his opportunity. That was the last chance he had to influence that child and I want you to remember that, that you don't give up until the baby's dead. And my last point that I want to make is I want this to be positive for you, very positive for me. So I want you to remember that every time you see me, not to think about what I've lost, but to think about yourself and the opportunity that you still have to influence, to teach, instruct your children. And don't worry about me. Think about yourself and encourage yourselves to buck yourself up, both fathers and mothers, to do what you need to do to the best of your abilities to bring those children up in the fear and imagination of the Lord. Amen. I will close with this verse. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Amen. I don't know what to say. Some days you don't want to end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and devotion and grace in our lives. Thank you for giving us this day that you have together as a church. Lord, we pray beyond just teaching us as we've heard just recently, but yea, Lord, move us to higher ground and uh, cause us to uh, follow hard after thee and live lives that are pleasing to you. Keep us in the faith 
And as a church, we pray you'll continue to weave the lives of the true saints of the Church of Greenville tighter together, that we would uh, live life together to your glory in this place. And uh, again, you'd bless our efforts, that there would be a legacy of faith in the land until you come back to get us. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.